So grab your Bible, turn with me quickly to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. It's a very powerful scripture. And we're going to read from verse 8. Let's jump a little. Let's go to verse 6. It says, uh, and I know that you, what have you got up there? Verse 6 to 8. Ah, thank you. Got wonderful people to help me out this morning. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith, not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave in the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let no one suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in some of his ways. What's written there? All. All of his ways. Double-mindedness leaves you unstable. It's probably the biggest problem in the Christian world right now. It's the biggest problem that leads to anxiety. Because I'm not sure if God's really that good. And I'm not sure that at the end of it all, God is, might just judge me for everything I did wrong. Somewhere I'm going to push it too far. Somewhere I didn't know. Because I grew up in a, in a, in a context of things. And, and we're going to get to stepping into stepping in what God has got. Stepping into the fulfillment of what He has for your life. That's where we're going today. But I grew up in a context of a religious situation where it was that God is okay with you now, but it's a delayed wrath. It's delayed judgment. It's okay now. I give you time to repent. He gives you time to repent. He, just, he won't kill you now. He'll wait till at the end. If you didn't, you've got enough time to repent. If you didn't, he'll get you at the end. So there's this double-mindedness, this double-mindedness about, and also there was a context of every Sunday or every uh, Sunday evening, they would have this uh, altar call and you would come and say, if you sinned this week, if you're not sure, and even the sin you didn't know you did, hmm. you know, that got me. Like, what did, what, did I, what did I do? I can't remember. Oh, I've got to repent quickly. Because the context was, if you walk out and you get hit by a bus. Yeah, I was so scared of a bus, I ran miles. Every time I see a bus, I start repenting. Just for in case it might hit me. In Joburg, they got Patco buses. They would talk about Patco buses. Yeah. So you would be fair. You're double-minded. So you're unstable in who you are. You're unstable about what you believe. You get something happens and you run with that. And something goes and you go with that. So Sunday morning's fantastic. You get a word from Henny. It's awesome. But Tuesday, all hell is broken loose and you think God's forgotten you. Like it's just gone. Like, is God still there? Does He know my number? Like I was expecting scratch and win. I scratch on Sunday and I win on Monday. I type in the... That's not the context of what it is. James talks about being very unstable through double-mindedness. That I'm not sure if God is good. That I'm not sure that He's got it all planned for me. Because that, that creates that anxiety. It creates that thing that God said He'll come through this year. So the year starts off on a big bang in the wrong direction. You have word, 2020 is going to be an awesome year. You feel it in your heart. You're ready for it. First of January is wonderful. Second of January, the devil came and knocked at your door. Who's had that experience before? Maybe not the second. It happened to you on the third. <laughs> Some of you were lucky to have it on the tenth. But somewhere it was that context of what it is that pulls in a, a, an atmosphere of, hey, am I, am I sure about this? You know, 
I love super tubes. Who's, who's, who's had some been on a super tube before? Some of you been on a super tube before? Man, I love that. It's one of my favorite things. I don't get, I haven't been on one in a very, very long time. But, um, and we were, we were down at ministry in Durban and I knew we were staying close to um, Gateway and they had the water park. And I got there and they realized they closed it down. I was so excited. I was going to super tube. I was going to get ready. And you know what the best thing is, is if you take a little bit of soap, and then you, you sneak it in your pocket. I don't know if any of you have ever done this before. So just before you get onto the super tube, you pull your pants just a little down and you smear some soap on the buttocks. And then you just leave it, and then you jump on that super tube and you go, or you smear soap on your, on your shoulder blades. Nobody's ever done this. Because then you lift your bum up and you just lie on your shoulder blades and your heels. You're streamlined. You go as fast as possible, but you have a chance of getting killed. There is a chance. There's a chance of really getting hurt, but it is an amazing experience. Why am I telling this story? You have a lot of people getting to where they are with God. They're not stepping in. They're just putting their toes in the super tube. And they go, this looks wild. I don't, I don't know if it's for me. They've never gone down. They've never stepped into what God's fully got for them. They're double-minded about it. They put their feet in. They maybe sit in the water. It feels a little strong. It feels, now this is not for me. I'm getting off. They've never had the full experience. They've never stepped into it and fully committed to it, to having the full experience. You might get bumps and bruises, but it will be the greatest ride of your life. That's the context of what it is. The fullness. And it's not just in the salvation part of it on just getting to heaven. It's the fullness of what He has for you in growth. You see, I didn't just get saved to go to heaven because if that's the context of it, then um, I can pray for you to die now. And most people will say, just wait a little bit on that one. I, I don't want to die right now. But you want to go to heaven, right? So let me lay hands on you right now. <laughs> it's very quiet on that one. <laughs> it's like, you, you know, the context is we get taught by a religious thing that it's all about the end result. But everything in between is a loss of it. So the context is like, we, uh, we, the right, I'm saved, I'm there, but what about this journey? What about what is so stepping into is, yes, the salvation, but it's the stepping into the fullness of who He is as Father, that I've become one with Him, that He is my God, that He's my source, that, he's my, that what He has over me is that He fights for me, that He's the one that prepares a table for me. He chose me, me before I chose Him. He loved me before I loved Him. See, the kind of, it's still a belief, a stepping into full belief. You remember, I remember the first time I got my skateboard as a little boy, and the first time you get on a ramp, who's ever, ever ridden skateboard? So if you're the first time on a ramp and you drop into the ramp, I'm explaining very, very high technology here right now. The first time you drop into the ramp, you've got to commit. Because if you don't commit, you and the ramp will get to know each other very quickly. And it's, it's slightly painful. The thing is, a lot of times when we come to stepping into what God has for us, we don't commit fully. We, we get a little bit of God, but we keep a back door open with whatever it is. We, we don't fully go into what we believe because we're just scared. Well, man, the day you got saved, you just all you did was say, Lord, I give my life to you. Yeah. And the moment you did that, you, you moved from darkness to light. Amen. You didn't have it all figured out, right? You weren't perfect, right? 
But your one prayer of belief took you from darkness to light. Your one prayer of belief, a little prayer that the greatest miracle on the earth took you from flesh to spirit. We're going to touch on that right now. It took you from one place to another. And you stepped into something that's far, far more than what you had before. See, every other form of religion is you doing something to get something from God. Or from a God. You have to do everything right and He will love on you. But the context of our Father is He did everything right for you. So you could only believe in it. He chose you. He loved on you. He died for you. He purposed you. He formed you. He holds you up, says Romans 14, when, you weak, when your knees are weak. Wow, what a powerful thing. That even if I fail, He holds me. That's the power of His love. That's the power of His. That's the grace that once and for all, God did a finished work in you the day you got saved. So just before we go to this scripture, I want to drop this in. We just had a conference with a guy by the name of Arthur Mankies. If you want to go look up his stuff, he's got phenomenal things that he speaks on. But he, he spoke about this and, and it really hit home. And I want to just quickly drop this in before we go to the next scripture. He says, you're not covered by Jesus because God is still angry. Let me explain. It's not like God sees you and he goes... Um, Yo, you just did something wrong. I'm just so angry with you. And he grabs his lightning bolt and he's ready to throw it at you and kill you. And Jesus jumps in and says, whoa, 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 God, do you remember the cross? And God goes, oh, yeah, sure. I forgot for a moment. I was so angry at Sean. I wanted to kill him. But you reminded me of the cross. So I'm not angry anymore. Does that kind of sound where we come from in a religious background? You see, God's actually, all His anger was taken out on the cross. He did a complete work in Jesus. So He's not angry at all anymore. So when I'm in Christ, in the context is I'm in Him. He reconciled us to Him in Jesus. It wasn't Jesus going like, hey, let me, let me stand in the gap for them. He did. But God took all His anger out on sin. You see, God never hated man. God hated sin and still hates it. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He hates what's causing you to move out of relationship with Him. That's the part that He hates. He never hated man. He hated sin and the separation from Him. And that's why He stepped in through Christ. To set you free. So that you have boldness to come to Him. You have boldness to go, Lord, I've had a bad day, but thank you that you love me. I don't have all my ducks in a row. I don't even own ducks, Lord. But I know you own me. You love me. You chose me. You purposed me. So that I can have a seat in heaven. So that I am from a different realm right now. I'm going to touch on that. Go with me quickly to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I want to read out of the... Uh, we're going to do it in the... This is in the Passion Translation. So I want you to read this uh, quickly with me. We're going to read from verse 1 uh, till 10. So it's in the Passion Translation, so you might not be able to follow in your Bible. So we'll read this. And his, and his fullness fills you, even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago 
that you lived in in the religion custom and values of the world obeying the dark ruler of an earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the heart of those who have disobedience to the truth of God. So he's actively working to have you disobedient, actively wanting you not to get into what God has for you. So he's talking here about an earthly realm. He's talking about you still in sin, right? Next part. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated. Living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everybody else. You were born into sin. And you lived the desires of that sinful life as in the context of an unnatural realm. There's a natural realm that you, are, that you were part of. Listen where I'm, what words I'm using. That you were part of. But then... But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, He united us to the very life of Christ and saved us by His wonderful grace. What did He do? He says we were very dead, very bad, very messy, and He connected us to Christ. So it's like getting married to you're standing in the beauty. Let's say the, the groom is up front. And the bride comes walking in. But the groom is dressed very well. He's got an Armani suit on. It's just looking dashes, beautiful. Everybody's there. She comes in. She looks like she's been dragged through the mud. She is stinking like she hasn't bathed in weeks. Her toenails are growing that she cannot walk in. It's, it's scratching in the wood. Okay? There's fungus between her toes. Her breath smells like the worst you have. When she comes in, she goes, hello, everybody dives. The flowers are dying in the moment. And as she comes walking down, she doesn't even have a proper dress on. It's rags. Those rags are filthy. The pigs have... There is there's all kinds of bad things going on. She is dirty, dirty, dirty. And the man up front is madly in love. madly in love with the one that her hair hasn't been washed in years everybody else is running away from the one and the one in front who is dressed in beauty in perfect holiness is looking at the prostitute that's coming through the door and going i love you i love you come here come to me come i love you i love you i love you and if and as she comes through the door, that's exactly what that scripture is portraying. That he not once look at the filth you were in. He said, but Sean, I wasn't that bad. No, you were that bad because you were born into Adam. Everything you were. So, but I never really sinned that bad. In your connection to God, in becoming one with him as a bride, you were that bad. You were that dirty. You think, we think, oh no, I wasn't that, you know, like, I'm the better Christian, oh, the better sinner. You know, I, I'm the better sinner than anybody. No, you were not, you were in sin. You never deserved to marry this one. Never. 
The, the smell of any sin of disbelief, the smell of what Adam was upon you in the spirit. Remember, the word talks about your worship as an aroma. So if your worship has an aroma, then your disbelief also has one too. Then your sin has one too. And he says, that one chose you to love on you. But here's the beauty. The moment you kissed him, he said, oh, what are you talking about the kiss? John chapter 4. I'm seeking true worshipers who will worship me in spirit and truth. The word worship there is proskuneo. It means to move towards with the intention to kiss. It's the process of kissing. You know, Old Testament, we had um, the word, I, I can't remember the, uh, the, uh, the Hebrew word now, but it means to be face down before God. Worship always had a face down experience to God. Nothing of what any word was ever used with intimacy to God. Everything was reverence and fear. And Jesus comes for the first time in John chapter 4 and says to a woman, I am the Messiah and I'm seeking to kiss you. Woo, come on. Like just that, we can go home on that right now and everything's done. The very God of the universe forms himself in a man, stands in front of sinful man and says, I want to kiss you. I want to love on you. I am God in all holiness and I choose to step into this dirty, filthy flesh. But the moment the spirit came into flesh, flesh became holy. How did flesh become holy? That when he put his hand on people, they were healed instantly. God didn't step out of the dirty flesh and then come to you and pray for you. Jesus took his spit and spat in the ground. He didn't climb out and spiritually spit in the ground. No, he took his spit, spat in the ground. That spit was so holy, when it touched the eyes of somebody, they were healed. Isn't that amazing? But that same spirit lives in you. So you got holy spit. Go okay, just... And I start putting two and two together and I start wondering about that. The context is he chose you. He pulled you out. He drew you close to be intimate. And the moment you touched lips, the moment you received him, the moment you became, she became the beauty of the exact representation of the man she stood in front of. You see, the context is that we remember this. God did not marry a child the day he died on a cross. He married a bride and he became one with her. That's all of you. You know, you don't marry somebody, you don't marry a little kid. That's illegal. God married one that could, he could have communion with, he could have communication with, could have intimacy with. The context is, is you are of his equal stature. Do I say you are God? No, I'm saying that you have to understand who you are because we are double-minded as we're always trying to get to be like him. When the very moment he saved you, he made you like him. You know, our context of growing up is we always try to achieve the A. So we do very, very hard through the year, then we graduate. It works the opposite with God. Is you graduate, now live from the A. Live from the platform of fullness. It's not getting you to it. It's you living from it. Because the next part... He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. And we ascended with him into the glorious perfection 
and authority of the heavenly realm. What happened with you? You were taken straight into the perfection of God. Into what realm? A heavenly realm. Above. A different authority. You know, we, we know the scripture. Okay, sorry, just go back one sec. We know the scriptures. His ways are higher than. And his thoughts are higher than. You know, that scripture is always used at a funeral. But it's got nothing to do with the funeral. We, many preachers have used that to try and explain something because they can't explain everything. And you're not supposed to explain everything. Otherwise, God would be really boring. We would take all the, the majesty and the magic about who He is out of it when we can explain God in a book. Just fine. No, He put Himself in a book, but He gave a spirit out of the book so that the spirit can explain what is in the book. Oh, I hope you're getting that. God is so much bigger than just putting Him in a box. But that scripture talks about his ways are higher. That means it is of a heavenly realm. Higher, greater. Where we are seated in him. Now he says in a heavenly realm. For now we are co-seated as one with Christ. Do you realize where you are seated? You are seated with Christ in heaven. Right now. Yeah, but Sean, I'm sitting here right now. What are you talking about? Jesus talks in... I think it was in John 3, where he says, I am in heaven right now. How's that possible? Through the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is in him, that is in me, that is in you. That's why we are one, as one as he is. That's why we're part of a body. You see, I don't, leave, I don't go home tonight and take my pinky off. Like, yes, really, it's hurting, so I'm going to take it off and just put it down there. Because I hit it with a hammer. It's not too nice, I'm taking it off. And then tomorrow morning, I'll put it back on. You can't detach things from your body, right? You are one. He is the head of the body. We are one with Him. His thoughts are my thoughts. What He's thinking right now, you can know. You know, the power of that is, let's take this beautiful married couple. Do you believe they love each other? Yeah, that was not a very convincing yes. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk. We're joking. We believe they love each other, right? We can see it. You can evidently see it. But in the very how long have you guys been married now? 25, 30 years? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 12 years. In 12 years, after 12 years of marriage, there are still days that in he goes, I do not have an idea what Salumi is thinking. Right? For you that have been married long, you've been married long, you know that. You've been married. You're still in this. And the woman goes, like, what were you thinking? You see, men think about, I don't know what she's thinking, but women tell you, what were you thinking? <laughs> right? Even though you love each other completely, even though you are involved in an intimate relationship, even though you have given your life, even though you have the ring on the finger, even though you were married before Christ, in the greatest love for each other, you still do not have each other's thoughts. But what God did in the power and wisdom of who He is, is He stepped into you. So that you can know exactly what he's thinking about you. So you can know his thoughts and he knows your thoughts. But the thing is, we always see it in the negative side. God knows my thoughts. He knows what bad things. No, that's not the reason he came to live in you. The reason he is in you is to be one with him. But also in the very connection of understanding that I know his thoughts. I know His plans. I know He loves me. I know that He will never leave me and never forsake me. There's no divorce on the table when it comes to God. 
It's impossible because He became one with you according to 1 Corinthians 6. His spirit and my spirit became one spirit. God's not living in you and when you go through some stuff, He pops out of again and next time He has to come knock on the door and say, will you allow me in again? Is your house clean now? Can I come back? No, He's become one with you. Are we already in 10? No, 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 let's go on. Throughout the coming ages, we will be visibly displayed of the infinite limited riches of His grace and kindness, which was, sowed, which was showed upon us in Christ Jesus. So it talks about the visible display of His glory on you. Next one. It was only through His wonderful grace that we believed in Him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift of God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. So if I could not earn my salvation, how can I earn my grace? How can I earn what God gives me? How can I earn the blessings upon my life? I can't earn it. I can't be a good Christian. So I stopped being a good Christian. I just became a Christian. You know, I don't get up in the morning and quote Basson scriptures so that I can look in the mirror and stay a basson. Come on, think about it for a moment. I don't go, in the name of Dave Basson and Albie Basson, I am a son of Dave Basson. I don't feel like it this morning, but I, I just look in the mirror and go like, I look like Dave. <laughs> his DNA is in me. I am, I am a, I'm his son by natural birth. He says, if you were born of corruptible seed, how much more, verse Peter 3, you're born of incorruptible seed. Hello guys, hello, hello, welcome. Of incorruptible seed. If my natural birth cannot be undone, how can my spiritual birth be undone? Impossible. I'm saved, I'm born again. It's sealed. He's not leaving me. He said, like, I don't want you. He says, I'm not leaving you. I don't want you. I'm not leaving you. Look what I'm going to do. Now I'm not leaving you. I know that. I try to run away from him. He's always there. He'll never leave you. But Sean, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how sometimes I just doubt. You don't, do you really think he's worried about your doubting? He says just, you're a wave. He didn't say you're a Satanist because you doubt. I'm taking it to the extreme now. He doesn't say you're going to be thrown into the pit of hell because you doubt. No, he says you're just a wave that gets tossed with the wind. You're unstable in your ways. He's trying to show you, don't be like that. He doesn't leave you. When they're in the boat, what does he do? He's with them in the boat. He comes walking on the storm to them. When they're in the waves being tossed. When they don't have faith, what does he do? He teaches them how to have faith. When Peter denies him. Ooh, I don't want to ask by show of hands who's denied Christ. But when I, you know, when there's sometimes we've been maybe ashamed to say something or do something or be something, or we felt God tell us to pray for somebody and we didn't do it, so we feel like Oof, I'm just this, I'm washed away. I can't. I can just. How does Jesus treat that? He cooks Peter a breakfast. He sits on the beach, waiting for him to come back from the boat. And when he gets there, what does he ask him? Does he ask him to repent? Or does he ask him, do you love me, Peter? Because he knows your heart. He knows your heart. He knows who you are. 
And the moment he does that, Peter's restored. You asked him three times. How many times did Peter deny? Three times. How many times does he ask him, do you love me? Three times. How does restoration come in your life? Love. How do you replace whatever misap or failure or thing you did? Love. Just return back to what it is. I am a son. I am a son. I am a son. Signed, sealed, delivered. I've been put into a higher realm. I am part of God and God is part of me. I don't operate in a natural realm anymore. I'm operating in a different realm. There are two realms. The natural, fallible, corruptible realm. And there is the realm of heaven. I'm sure I want to operate in that. man. You can. It's very easy. Believe. How did you get saved? You believed, right? How do you operate in a, natural, in a spiritual realm? You believe. It's no different. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, chapter 3. He says to them, why are you trying to perfect things through fleshly deeds? How did you get saved? You believed. How do you grow? You believe. I believe what? 2 Corinthians 3.18 As I look into the mirror of who He is in me, I step into what I see. I step into what I see. But if what I look at is earthly, I'll step into that. If what I look at is religion, I'll step into that. If I'm constantly filling my mind with the natural, fallible things, the stuff that fails, what will be my, my, my outcome? Only that. But when I'm in the Word, when I'm listening to what God is, when I'm constantly reminding myself, looking in what, who I am, I'm reminded He lives in me. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in me. He dwells in you. He dwells in you. He dwells. He's become one with you. And when I bring that to remembrance, when I do it Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, you know, I want to get those downs as much as what I did. Because I'm, I'm stepping into what I see. It's done. When He said, it is finished, He didn't say, it is finished, but maybe in 2020 we'll have to revisit this thing. Only is a time limit on that. Let me ask this. How old are you now? You're 80? Almost 84. At 84, can we still believe for your healing? If you, if you got sick today, you're not going to get sick. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> but if you got sick today, can we believe for your healing? Amen. At 90, can we still believe for your healing? Is there a time limit or an age limit on healing? But we put natural stuff there and we go like, you know, Uncle has been around. He's had a good innings. He's on 84. So if he gets sick now, do we really believe the same as we would believe for one of the children? Do we have the same further, the same passion as when we pray for a child that's sick? Because we put human limitations on what God has already said. When we've got to step into faith, I walk by faith and not by sight. Think Corinthians 5. The context of that is from the very basis is that we cannot be double-minded about what we believe. If God promised it, He didn't say at 84 we can stop believing for healing because we had a good time. We need to come back to heaven now. Like, shh, shh, shh. spiel, come home. Am I asking the right questions right now? Am I stirring something in your heart? Is it time to step into something more than what your natural realm has been? To step into something of a greater and greater existence in this life right now. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Yeah. 
not a copy not a piece the very same spirit that dwells in Christ that raised him from there dwells in me quickens my flesh I'm going to end with the last one is that okay let's go to uh, 2nd Chronicles 20 I know you guys are hot so I'm trying to keep you awake you know when this when it comes like in Afrikaans as you don't sleep it's okay I know you're a bit for Russland it's impossible to translate in English <laughs> I'll try later <laughs> so I know you're at peace you know you're praying you're a bit for Russland it's like Chronicles are you getting something? Second Chronicles 20. So what year are we in? 20? 20. You know, for a long time, it's, it's, a, it's a little hot, right? <laughs> for seven years, <laughs> for seven years, we've been praying and prophesying over this year. We've been talking about this year. We, we believe God was going to do phenomenal, phenomenal things in this year. So when we got to this year, God already gave us a scripture, 2 Chronicles 20, 20. But there's a piece about this that is so powerful about what God's doing. There's a piece about what we believe about what God says of our life. And I, I want to just quickly talk to you just on this, just before I read this. When David walks out to face Goliath, He's walking out to a giant, not an average guy, a giant, who's never lost his entire life. He's never lost. He has family, he has three sons, oh, sorry, three brothers and a son. So when David walks out, David is so confident about what God tells him. But what God says to him, he picks up how many stones? Five stones. So in the five stones, three brothers, one son, and Goliath. I always thought he picked up five stones because if he missed, he at least he had four more. And then I thought, why didn't he just pick up five? I would have picked up 20. So I can go, choom, choom, and he's quick. And choom, you hit him, eventually you got him. And then if he falls, you can take another one and choom, you hit him with another one. And then you got a big stone and you beat him. Like... That's what I thought. Like, isn't that the kind of mentality? Like, just I've got to have ammo, man. If you were like, I'm, I'm a boy, man. I'm a man. You know, so from watching movies, you've got to have the guns and the ammo, and you make sure there's enough so you can reload. In Hollywood, they have, you know, their bullets never stop. But in real life, they stop. Okay, don't worry. Five stones? What happened to David years before that day? All that happened to him in the privacy of a home where he wasn't acknowledged he got anointed as a king so he didn't get a word in front of 5,000 people Samuel didn't come there in front of the whole nation and said this boy was brought here by his father because his father loves him so much and his brothers adore him he's gonna come stand here and we're gonna anoint him everybody's gonna sing songs they're gonna go Facebook live Instagram stories this is gonna be phenomenal the world is gonna go viral overnight everybody know this is the king so listen this boy will be the king in your place 
Nothing like that happened. It happened in the privacy of a home where he wasn't even acknowledged. So nobody... Do you think really the brothers went out and said, Hey, my brother just got anointed as king. Man. No, they told nobody. Because they weren't anointed. How do we know that they told nobody? Because when David pitched up on the field of battle, nobody knew that he was the one who was anointed to be king. So the only one who knew and believed on his own, no prayer group, no mentorship group, <laughs> no prayer chain was praying for David to get into the position God told him. David didn't go Sunday to Kingdom My Church and pop in and say, Hey, Henny, you know, I got anointed as king, but you need to believe with me, brother. I'm not seeing anything happening. I'm still looking after sheep. Like, when is this going to happen? Okay, well, I'm making it a little bit real here. His brothers didn't acknowledge that. All he had was what God told him at that moment, and he got anointed. So all he had was the anointing. What did God do with you? He took the Holy Spirit, the anointing, and he didn't put it on top of you. He put it inside of you. God's anointing didn't come and just touch you, my brother. God came and lived inside of you. The context of that is when David gets to Goliath, he operates as a king and not as a shepherd. He walks and says, five stones will manifest that I will kill you, your three brothers and your son. In David's lifetime, they killed all five giants. It's only five giants that were spoken of. So when he walks out, he's walking out in the anointing. Nobody else believes it except him. How much of what you believe that God has told of you are you walking in or are you waiting for somebody to open the door for you? You have got to take the belief and step into it. I believe God called me for this. I believe God is with me. I believe He will take care of me. I believe I'm healed. I believe He will. Are you getting what I'm saying? So when he steps out onto that field, he steps in front of a guy, and what does David go with? A sling? He goes with a staff to a fight. When this guy's got a sword and a sword bearer, a massive giant, known warrior, from the context of knowing that God is with him. So with that in mind, we're going to read you from verse 15. Do you have from verse 15? No, just 2020. Oh, 17. Uh, I'm going to read verse 15, then we'll get to 17. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat. Now let's jump back and let's read this. Now listen, all you are sitting today in Kingdom Light Church. This is a word for you. Say, Me. Say, this is for me. In the inhabitants of Judah, and, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you, do not be afraid, nor dismayed, because this great multitude of battle, for this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. You will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jezreel. Now, just before we get to 17, what does he say to him? Do not be afraid. Sit at home. I will fight for you. Does he say that? 
No. He doesn't say, do not be afraid. Watch Netflix. Pop some popcorn. Don't even leave your house. I'll send you a photo after I kill them. No, he says, do not be afraid. There is a multitude. God doesn't make it soft for him. God doesn't say, don't worry, there's going to be three there. I'm going to confuse them. Nobody will show up. No, he says, there will be a massive amount against you. But don't be afraid, for I am with you. Tomorrow, get up and go down to where the battle is. Get up from, from where you are here and move to there. If you haven't heard any sermon on that, get it, listen to it. It will change your life. Get up from where you're at and make a move. Do, you know, we do the same thing over and over expecting different results. We expect by just going to church or just reading your Bible once a week, that's going to be breakthrough to you. Now, the very reading of the Bible doesn't... It's the very fact that I'm listening to His Word over my life that sets me free. I'm not going to impress God through it, but He says, get up and move towards to see. Move out. Do, move into what... Step into what God has got for you. Step into the anointing. Step in by faith. Okay, 17. For you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself. Oh. Position yourself. Get into line with what... Everything I've said today. Position. Make up your mind about this. God is good. God is for me. God will not leave me. God will protect me. God is with me. Position yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. If you're reading Ephesians, you will hear. Stand, stand, rejoice, stand. See God is with you. Stand. Stand. Um, do not be fear and dismayed. Tomorrow go down against them and the Lord is with you. Verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground. And all the, Jew, the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshipping him. Then the Levites and the children of Kishite and all the children of the Kishite stood up and praise the Lord and Israel and the voices loud and high. What did they do when they heard what God told them? They rejoiced. You know, in all the years I've been in ministry, most people wait to see what God does before they start rejoicing. God says, you are healed. Okay, let's see. You are broken through. Yeah, let's see. God says, I'm going to give you breakthrough. Wow, that's awesome news. Let's see. What did these guys do? They heard God says, Do not worry, I will fight for you. Yes. They get excited without seeing one thing happening. You know, it says, I walk by faith and not by sight. There's no scripture, seeing is believing. One of my friends came to me one night and said, Sean, I, that scripture, God helps those who help themselves. I was like, Huh? What scripture is that? I've never heard of that scripture before. The context is, what does the word say? He goes on, verse 20. So they rose early in the morning. They didn't sleep late. They got into this. They said, we're going to go for this. Went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went to our Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Jerusalem, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. Believe. Do not doubt. Believe. Believe in the Lord your God. And you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. What am I doing this morning? I've come with a word to you. I'm acting as a prophet. I'm acting in the office of his prophet. When I say, God says, this is the year that I will fight for you. 
This is the year that I will be the one that walks in front of you. You will go down and stand there. And though there be a multitude against you, you will not have to fight. You will not have to stand on your own. I will be the one who opens the doors. I will be the one who takes care of you. Believe the He says, believe God and believe the word. It's very simple. I love the, the story of um, Churchill. Churchill was invited to speak at Oxford after the Second World War. They asked him to come. Massive amount of people there. He said, please come and tell us. Speak to us about the Second World War. He gets up. They are in anticipation for the mighty things he's going to share with them. He gets up and he says, never retreat. Never surrender. Thank you. And he sat down. <laughs> Very simple words. But extremely powerful. Never retreat. Never surrender. Did he say that you will never face opposition? No, he didn't say that. Did he say that you might have some failures? Yes, but you will never fail. Come on, I hope that hits into your heart. You might have some moments of failures, but you will never fail. You will not be defeated. God says, I am with you and I will never leave you and never forsake you. Do not be double-minded about this in this year. God says, I am with you. I will never leave you and never forsake you. I will fight for you. I will be the one. That's not fighting like, Lord, you know that what that lady did to me? Lord, get her. You know, we don't pray those prayers, but we think those prayers. Like, Lord, I wish you could just... No, that's not what I'm talking about. When the enemy comes in against you, God raises a standard. And the standard is love. And then what do they do? For a lack of time, I'm just going to quote this. They go and they send the worshippers first. You want to see victory this year? You want to see growth this year? Make worship a priority. Make worship the first thing. It's thanksgiving. It's the very thing in the presence of the enemy to go, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. You know, that's when the enemy gets in the teeth. It's not by you fighting him. It's by you not looking at it. Not looking at him and just putting your... Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. So that we look away. We look away. We look away. I believe I have a word for you. I believe God says it's time to look away from the things that want to tell you that you are not what God has called you to be. Sure. You know, there's things upon you, and I just, I just felt this morning when you walked in of, and I met you, I felt like there is, a, you are short in stature, but in the spirit you're a giant. In the spirit you're a giant. You carry a weight of authority with you. But you know what? There's this constant thing that are telling you, like, yeah, don't, don't be too much. Don't be too much. Don't, don't step out too far. You know, come, let's, let's chain you up. and let's do, You know, a lion in the, in, the, um, in the zoo is beautiful. But a lion in the wild, it's a whole different ballgame. You know, you go down to the zoo and you look at the lion. You go, wow, that's a nice lion. He goes, wah, wah. you're not fearful at all because there's a big ditch. In. You know what religion and people and society is busy doing? I don't know what is going on in your life. I just feel there's a, you're a lioness that's called to be running wild but it's boxing you in and just as you kind of feel like the spirit is stirring and you want it says no 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 conform conform is it making sense what i'm saying conform conform be this be that don't and god says no i've called you to be extravagantly free extravagantly free 
And there's stuff that want to come and box you and say, I'm taking your freedom from you. I'm not going to be. Said, no, 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 that's not what God has called. And it's almost, you know, a lion that's suddenly out in the wild kind of has to get used to it. God says the season you're stepping into is a season of getting used to being in the wild. There's a thing about that that's going to start walking in your life that you're almost going to feel a little uncomfortable. God says, don't be uncomfortable. Step out of it. I'm going to teach you how to be wild. I'm going to teach you how to be free. I'm going to teach you to fully live in the call that's upon your life because you've not seen anything yet. There is much more and much greater that's within your life. I believe for this church today that God is fighting for this church. I, not because this church is part or because I know this couple or because I believe I believe God put this church here for a reason and, and, and he's going to do the communion right I want when, when we take communion today and when you pray this week you know, let's be diligent about this to pray for this church to pray for what God wants to do here because I believe there's a unique word in this building that's going to touch this city that's going to touch people's lives that's going to set people free that they will never be the same again do you believe that with me? I believe 2020 is the year for KLC Stellenbosch. It's going to see God do things far above than what they've ever done before. Thank you for listening to me. I hope you got something today. I hope it blessed you today. And, uh, it was really an honor and a privilege to minister to you guys. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you.